for listening to The Rivers Podcast. For more information on this teaching, visit our website at theriver.info. This morning, I want to attempt as a broken person who Jesus died for as well, who's not always right and it's okay to disagree with, give you what I would think is meat and not milk. The writer of Hebrews would put it this way up on the slide. Um, they would say something to the effect of, is it on there? Do we have that Hebrew slide? There we go. In fact, though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you the elementary truths of God's word all over again. You need milk, not solid food. And there's a huge debate always about who wrote Hebrews. Scholars don't know who wrote Hebrews. Believe it or not, I don't even know who wrote Hebrews, but I'm pretty sure that she was a genius. Because in the writing of Hebrews, she says, you're babies. You've been followers of this Jesus thing and you still need milk. You need something that goes down smoothly, not something that might risk you choking or spitting it back up or having to chew on for a long time, something that you might disagree with at first, but you might need to ask God, hey, was there anything in that for me? Something that came through the mouthpiece of a human, was there something in that for me that God has for me? So yes, I think she was a genius. Now, I don't think you guys are babies. I mean, there are some babies in here, but I don't think you guys are babies. But I am going to attempt today to give solid food, something that doesn't go down easy, that needs chewed on. And so if it is difficult to chew on, my request, my humble request, as a 34-year-old young man who somehow found himself on this stage this morning, is go home, think about it, keep chewing, um, because I'm going to try to give you a mouthful. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's pray. Father, your word is a double-edged sword. And we want to be challenged by your word and by the study of your word. And we want you to change us. And we want you to come into our hearts. And we want you to change the way that we think. But we only want you to do that on your terms. We don't want you to do that on Rod's terms. We want you to do that on your terms, not our terms. And so please, Holy Spirit, be in this place now. Transform us, change us, and speak something new. In Jesus' name, amen. So in John 12, 31 and 32, Jesus says as he is coming in from the triumphal entry and he is on his way to the cross, he knows what's happening. He's going to hit this thing hard. The kingdom is about to come. Parable time is over. Jesus is doing what he said he was going to do. And he says this, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out. And I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. Jesus is getting ready to judge the world. He does that through the cross. And not only does he judge the world, he sends the prince of this world, Satan, out. You are no longer the leader of this space. And then he says, when I'm lifted up, when I'm resurrected, I'm going to draw all people to myself. 
And so we go back to the very beginning, and you guys know how it starts. Adam and Eve, there they are, living harmoniously together and in peace. And then they sin. They try to be like God. They feel threatened that they're not like God. And all of a sudden, this big word comes into play, and it's called blame. She made me do it. The devil made me do it. It's someone else's fault. It's not mine. And we see a scapegoating mentality take over. Immediately. Like it's the first thing. They try to cover themselves. They try to hide. But then man, it's like every man for himself right then. Blame. Scapegoating mentality. And then, I mean, it's not long after that, we move to the children. Which is where I kind of want to focus today. And we have Cain and Abel. And that story goes like this. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked in the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of his fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering. Fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. I'm going to stop there for a second. God says if you do what it's right, you'll be acceptable. But then God addresses this whole idea. It's not even necessarily about if you do what it's right. He says if you don't do what it's right, at that point, sin is crouching at your door. Notice when sin comes in. Is it, is it with his sacrifice that was unacceptable or is it crouching at his door now because he didn't do what is right? Think about it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know, all seeing God. He replied, am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. And we, we read that Cain was afraid. And he actually feared for his own life. Because, I mean, the dude had just scapegoated his own brother. I feel threatened by my brother because he's doing something better than me. So if I can eliminate him, then I can have better standing with God. And now he's afraid because the scapegoating process has started. Once you do it, you're afraid it's going to get done to you. And so God has to put a mark on his head saying, I will keep people from killing you. And then we continue to read in the next slide. 
Cain made love to his wife. That's why the kids are out this morning. Cain made love to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. And so Cain, having blamed his brother for his own misfortune, like he learned from mom and dad, and convincing himself that God might only find him acceptable if he destroys what he perceives to be a threat to his well-being, kills his brother. Lies about it, runs away, and builds the first city. The first system. The first government, if you may. But that's not the point. The first societal structure. And the problem here is not in the building of the city. My friend Brian Stone told me that Tim Keller argues that cities are, as God designed, to be places of refuge for the least, the lost, and the lonely. So the, the problem is not in the building of the city, because that can be very good. The problem is in the foundation by which that city is laid, a foundation of scapegoating, blame, hate of those who threaten us, murder, and hiding the bodies in the name of justice. Until Cain was convicted by God actually saying, listen, your brother's blood cries out from the ground, I imagine Cain felt justified in his violence. Before the conviction, he was just like simply removing the threat, creating a scapegoat and blaming like he learned from mom and dad. What parents do, kids will do to the extreme. And the first city was formed. And I believe, since that time, all of the human systems, like the blue ink dropped into the glass of water, and structures and cities and societies and governments that have been built by human hands, possess a foundational seed of scapegoating blame and eliminating threats through violence in the name of justice. And I believe it happens in three ways. Now, this is really funny because I was writing this and I felt like I, 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 I'm not wanting to make people mad, but as I was writing this thing, I sent some of my notes to my friend Will and in like five seconds, he sent me back a sermon by Martin Luther King Jr., who had preached this sermon in 1967 and was saying like the exact same thing. And I was like, I'm a genius. <laughs> By the end of this sermon, minorities will have the right to vote. <laughs> and I'm telling you, man, I got so encouraged. I believe this happens in three ways, money, power, and religion. Number one, the world hoards and protects its resources out of fear that someone's going to come and take them away. It's self-preservation. Paul would say to Timothy, his apprentice and pastor to the church of Corinth, the love of money is the root of all evil. And I would add that having the mindset of scarcity and fear of not having enough when fear is not from the Lord causes the world to believe it must eliminate any threat that's trying to take its money. And we see it throughout history. Number two, power. The world wants to win. Everybody wants to be on top 
of the ladder. The world wants to look down on everyone else and be the famous one. And so in the name of justice, the world protects itself from any perceived threat. The world seeks out potential violence and silences it with the redefining of that same word violence, calling it wisdom and justice. And number three, religion, the world would rather be free than persecuted. This is a tough one. The world would rather be free than persecuted. The world would rather people believe like it than punish it for what it believes. And although that thought, it's not evil itself, the world again, because of Cain, in the name of justice, seeks to eliminate anyone or anything that might threaten its freedom. The world would rather be the persecutor than the persecuted. Jesus would not. Rome did this. Many people did this. Many societies did this throughout history. Rome is a great example because it's in Jesus' time, and they called it Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. You can see it really well done in the movie Gladiator. The peace of Rome. Take over the world and make it all Rome. And many others throughout history have followed the way of Cain in the construction of their cities, their systems, and their governments. That's why the New England Patriots are bad. <laughs> they are taking over the NFL. It's not the Jesus way. In three words, it can be summed up like this. Rivalry, blame, and domination with the use of money, power, and religion. When the world embraced the spirit of fear, the spirit of Cain, many years ago, all the way until today, it became a puppet for the enemy. The world became a puppet for the enemy, and it began to do things in the name of wisdom and justice that was really scapegoating and violence. And the cross put all of that to shame. Let's go back up to John 12, the verse that I had. Jesus enters Jerusalem in what many call the triumphal entry, although it wasn't very triumphant. And he says, now is the time for judgment on this world. Now the prince of this world will be driven out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. And the cross judged the world. And the world was found guilty of living under the system of Cain. Guilty of hoarding in the name of self-preservation, its riches to the point of oppressing the poor. The world was found guilty of dominating those who were not as powerful as it was. The world was found guilty of persecuting the spiritually broken for the sake of religious fulfillment. See, I don't know if you know this, and, th and this is something I really want to draw your attention to because I think it'll help you understand this all the more. Have you ever seen Undercover Boss? Man, I like the Saturday Night Live version of Undercover Boss. You should YouTube that. It's hilarious. But Undercover Boss, you know, the CEO, millionaire, sneaks in, is like the lowest level. 
and he studies his people, and he sees what happens, and then he finds out what's wrong. And basically, he, he judges the system. And, 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 and in an undercover boss, what happens usually is he meets people who are awesome, who he's not really taking care of, because he realizes, hey, I'm a millionaire, and they're not. Um, and he pays for their college or something like that. Those are all the shows that I've seen, anyways. And they all ended the same way, so I stopped watching. Somebody got their college paid for. Jesus comes in to judge the world, I would say as undercover boss. Because he meets with three people on his way to the cross, revolving around money, power, and religion. So pay close attention to this and, and look it up. Look it up after I'm done. Jesus meets with Herod, the richest man in the world, the keeper of the treasury. He meets with Pilate, the leader of the military, one of the most powerful men in the world. And he meets with Caiaphas, the Jewish high priest, the one who organized Jesus' crucifixion, the most prominent religious leader, one of the most prominent religious leaders in the world. He meets with all three of them, undercover boss. And on his way to the cross, the world was found guilty, guilty of domination through money, power, and religion. We would rather kill than be threatened. We would rather call our violence wisdom and justice than what it really is, scapegoating and murder. And all the crowds watched this crucifixion. But in Christ, we find a God who would rather die than kill his enemies, and he would rather forgive than dominate. And the cross puts the world to shame. And all the crowds, when they saw the spectacle of Jesus, there's actually been studies shown about lynchings and mass uh, and like um, killing someone and, and, and large crowds coming to watch. There's a euphoria that happens for the people who are watching. Psychologists have studied some of this. You can actually put all your anger towards someone, and in the moment they die, you can feel this euphoric thing. And you can take pictures in front of the people who've been lynched and say that you've done it in the name of justice and wisdom. But when the, the crowds, when they saw the spectacle of Jesus, an innocent man being tortured and persecuted out of fear and greed and power, all the crowds... The Bible says in Luke, did not experience euphoria. Instead, they walked away and went back to their homes beating their breasts because the lynching of God revealed the evil that was holding this world captive as a puppet. Cain killed his innocent brother and humanity killed his innocent God. Guilty. And the cross judged the world. That's a heavy word. 
But not only did the cross judge the world, friends. The cross freed the world because Jesus rose from the dead. Can somebody say amen? It freed us from the need to always believe we don't have enough. It freed us to give and live generously and no longer have the mindset of scarcity that keeps others poor. To move away from self-preservation into self-sacrifice. The cross freed us from the need to win and be powerful and gave us permission to join others in their loss and weakness. To become one with the least and the lost and the lonely of the world. It freed us from the need to place our confidence in systems that promise peace, wisdom, and justice, but miss the message of Jesus. The cross freed us from the need to eliminate threats and protect ourselves from persecution, but rather love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. And the cross not only freed us, it empowered us to reorganize this world. You see, and here's here's the premise, guys. The only way to stop the blaming was for someone to take the blame and forgive it. The only way to stop the scapegoating mentality and the euphoria that comes with it The need to be right and to dominate others in the name of justice was for someone to take the blame and forgive it. Christ empowers us to forgive. (coughs) Spiritual warfare time. The devil is an accuser. The devil is an accuser, a blamer, and cannot survive where there is forgiveness. He suffocates if there's no blame. Forgiveness is not weakness. It is the power of God, as Brian Zahn would say, to deprive the enemy of a host for retaliation. Deprive the enemy of a host for retaliation. The devil will suffocate if he can't continue the blaming cycle. And so Jesus says, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. And he empowers us to forgive. And Jesus teaches us to love one another and forgive one another and in that way call his kingdom to earth. He preached about it his whole life. We couldn't handle it and we killed him. He rose from the dead and said, now you're free to live the way that I'm telling you to live. And in Revelation... Last slide verse. John sees a vision and he says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, a city that's different than the one that Cain built, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. 
For the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things has passed away, the way of scapegoating, the way of money and power and religious brutality will be gone. And we can be part of that kingdom today. We can be part of that kingdom today. <clears throat> By embracing the power of forgiveness and no longer conforming to the patterns of the world, the Herods, the Pilots, and the Caiaphases, but letting God transform us by changing the way we think. The cross is as ugly as human sin, but it is as beautiful is God's love for the world. Thanks for listening. For more information, check us out online at theriver.info.